As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Welcome to Episode 2 of Turning Financial Services on its Head. It would be an understatement to say that there's a lot of change taking place in the financial services industry. Perhaps it's unprecedented and, and certainly transformational. The ebbs and flows of that change portend significant implications for the future. Or do they? In our previous episode, my guests and I talked about the four-phase model of evolution and the view that we may be entering the fourth phase, which we called rebundling, and some of the implications for industry players, both large and small. Today's session builds on those ideas and, and answers questions like, what is banking from a customer perspective? Does scale matter as we turn financial services on its head? Is digitization central to success, or is it old news? Join me now with my guests and our conversation in progress. One of the thoughts I thought was quite interesting from Richard was this, what is banking? Because I think that's at the, at the core of a lot of the potential for the future. And in particular, when we look outside financial services, we look at the leaders in those industries. The leaders in those industries are really talking about value creation as opposed to problem solving. And I think a lot of the work that happens or has happened historically inside financial services has been about problem solving. And so in my view, what is banking, the answer to what is banking is, and this sort of concept of long-term relationship is really a pact between an, an entity that's providing service and a customer where they're both aligned with their long-term goals. And I don't know that that's in fact how we have progressed historically within the financial services industry. I guess my question is, what do you think? I really, I feel almost emotional about this topic, even though it's something as geeky and nuanced as financial services, because I've seen this now as a banker, as a third generation of people starting their own businesses. And that first generation were immigrants running away from a war-torn country, not unlike what we're experiencing now today, right? And, and I've seen it also as a business owner. So I've seen it from three points of view. And the way the industry works is that it expects the customer to know what product they want as if they're walking into a grocery store and picking between an apple and an orange. And they're supposed to know that whether they're trying to grow their personal wealth or their professional business. So you're richer than you think is my North Star always. How about insights on how to grow your business? We're going to get you there. There's an article from BDC Capital that talks about the four ratios that bankers look at, and it's meant for business owners. And it talks about all the things you would consider, liquidity ratios and efficiency ratios, and but it doesn't get down to brass tacks, which is 
If your numbers look like X, you need to do Y in order to achieve outcome Z. That is the role of the financial services provider. It shouldn't be that the business owner, and I, I know I'm very business focused, but people too, it shouldn't be that an individual or a business owner is in the position to know what product they want because they're not the professional in financial services. We are. So what's been really inspiring over the last few years is the amount of collaboration that I've seen in the industry to just solve this problem. If you have real-time information that's consent given by a business, you can then see what they need. And then innovative financial institutions are not just saying, you can get this loan when you ask for it, but hey, you could get this, but what about this credit card? Or what about these group solutions? And then they have a full service relationship and they know more about the whole industry and they can take that learning and put it back in the, into the business owner's best interest. It's by collaborating that we all do well together. But we're really far away from that. I don't know if the rest of you agree. There's only a few players who see it that way. I mean, I think I get a slightly biased view of the market because we are talking to people who are at an early stage of wanting to provide banking services. That's why they come and talk to us about our, our product. And secondly, because we provide a purely white-labeled business-to-business service, we get to talk to those people who are not interested in sharing the customer relationship with a financial institution. They don't want to do a co-brand deal with a big bank. They want to own the customer themselves and have everything done under their brand. So to your question about are people doing this, absolutely. These are the people who um, are our customers and our um, potential partners. It's fascinating that none of them come to us saying, I want to do plain vanilla banking products just like you can get at one of the big banks, um, but I want it under my brand. Nobody believes that that's what the market is for. If that's what the market was for, how could they compete against the big banks? They really are interested in providing unique products, products which are particularly relevant to their customers, particularly relevant to their own user experience. I have to say the, the, the largest single category of people we speak to are people who want to serve small and medium-sized enterprises. In the Canadian market, there is a clear view that this is a poorly served market with lots of opportunity. So we see a large number of people coming to us asking for small and medium-sized enterprise banking services so they can target that market. But we talk to everybody from big retailers, grocery chains, insurers, wealth managers, every variety of fintech startup. And they are all very focused on the fact that you have to deliver something unique to the customer that they will value. And whether that's a full range of banking products or just a specific product. So I think there is a demand for our product because people have recognized that there is a demand from the customers. And you know, the question is, who responds to that most quickly? And is that response a fragmented one? Or does somebody manage to bundle that all together in the way that you described, Karen, which is the ability to say, my shared interest with you is in the creation of value, and therefore I'm going to provide you with a holistic value creation relationship, some of which will be to do with financial services, some of which is to do with banking, but plenty of which will be to do with the way you conduct your life or conduct your business. What do you think, Mama? I can see you're looking to... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree with what's being said. And I think it's like there, you can't really succeed if you're not providing a unique product, right? Like the last thing Canada needs is another big bank option of, of fairly commoditized products. 
I think the other thing too is like we talk about long-term relationship and that's what the big banks have kind of built their brands around, but I don't really see that playing out. I think what's happened is the more money you have means the more money banks can make off of you. And so that's where those relationships and investment come come in. But you've got huge swaths of people in the market who aren't really getting the relationship piece or the services that they deserve. Um, on the this idea of, do you go in and provide like a a full swath of products to the customer. I think at least in our case on, on EQ bank is we couldn't really afford to do that. We had to establish ourselves with one product, get the customer's trust and mindset. And then from there, it's been growing out to services that would make sense for them. It'd be interesting to see what other players can do, but I do feel like with the scale of Canada, it's, it's hard to go in and offer that full end-to-end service products in or bundle, if you will, in financial services. So I do think it'll continue to be gradual. And I, I know I, I talked a bit about the checking account. I think what happens is regardless of how you enter the market, so if it's payments or it's lending, I still think that checking account is the foray into the next product. Like once you have that store of money and some transactional data, it allows you to extend to the next product. Maybe Richard, with Fanaptic, it, it maybe if you have the full core bank offerings on day one, you can do it all at once. I just, from my experience, have found that it's a huge undertaking to try and enter the market that way, put enough marketing dollars against it, and get the the uptake of a full bundle of products. Yeah, I don't think any of our partners look to enter banking as a product range with the full range of products. I mean, I think the the key here is that because we offer the full range of products on a single platform, which is because it's entirely cloud-based, is is in, you know fully scalable. We offer the ability to do that at you know dramatically lower cost, so the opportunity exists. The question is whether that day-to-day banking account as a single product will continue to exist as as the key. I mean, I think what's interesting is many of our partners come to us already with lots of insight into their end customers because, for example, they see all of the retail transactions that run through the store because they have a loyalty program or they're in the credit building business. So they're already pulling bureaus on their customers. So they already have lots of customer data. So they tend to see you know, the need to have that day-to-day account as less vital. But I think you know, it remains an immensely valuable source of information that, you know, people are very interested in, especially when they know the banks are using that data to target their customers. So the defensive move, if you're an insurer or a wealth manager, I think it's very important. But given the way that that day-to-day banking product fragments into, you know, the different forms of payment rails, the ability to do bill payments, you know, the ability to do P2P transfers, is that still a single product or is that something which um, people are going to assemble from, you know, component pieces? I think we, we've yet to see, especially here in Canada, where I feel like we are still running, you know, materially behind other markets in terms of taking on some of these innovations. So is scale a barrier? I don't think scale is the challenge. I think most companies have, especially fintech companies, have tested their solutions for millions or multi-million customers. They've, Richard just said he, he built an 
very cost efficient and infinitely scalable platform for anyone who wants to adopt any kind of banking technology. I think the issue is, is there a hunger from existing players in the market to move things forward? Especially when we talk about geographies like Canada. We, in North America, there are 25,000 lenders. Anyone want to guess how many of those lenders are in Canada out of the 25,000? It's, it's less than a thousand. It's, it's really small. And so we're, that's our reality. I think it would behoove us all to experience on, we all have the personal banking experience and only some of us have the business banking experience of actually getting access to some of these products. I was told by a top five Canadian bank when I asked for foreign exchange in the six figures to go elsewhere outside of the bank because they couldn't compete. These are the things that I think all of us here are fighting to change, right? Just understanding the brass tacks of what it means to do banking in this country and what it could be because there are so many intelligent people that have been fighting for change for so long in this industry. I feel like I have to disagree because I, I feel like we face this scale challenge all the time. Is there's so much we want to do on the innovation side with like real time rail or even like regulations around Canadian banking? So even on the SME side, uh, digitizing KYC for small businesses across all the provinces is a fairly big undertaking in a market that, I mean, there's a ton of potential, but I find the scale equation comes up again and again in Canada because there's a huge amount of build required. And if you don't have that customer base, how do you monetize that build, you know, over a payback that, that makes any sort of economic sense? So typically when we're having these conversations in market, we first try and identify the need and, and, if KY, you're saying KYB is the need, there are multiple players who focus on KYB. The, the question is, would a financial institution partner with a seed stage company if they're SOC 2 compliant? But there is a lot of providers in market who can easily provide KYB in a very cost-effective way or access, right? So... Yeah, I don't know. When you start to look into it, it's usually like four or five providers that need to come together, uh, the full integrations. And so you get these point solutions. At least that's been my experience in opening, trying to open small business bank accounts where it's never, it's really never that streamlined or simple as you would expect. It's true. Stitching the, the products together is the challenging part for sure. As, as you're chatting, I'm, I'm wondering if any of the U.S. players would be able to handle the Canadian market in that space. That's the question mark that I have looming, but I don't really know the answer. Well, I think the experience has been, we've seen a number of the American banking as a service providers and, and also um, some, of the, some of the other international ones express an intention to come to Canada. Um, and it then gets delayed and delayed and delayed because they come to grips with the scale of the regulatory challenge in particular in Canada and the size of the market to, you know, to Mahima's point, it really is about, you know, the scale question isn't the ability to scale these technologies quickly, you know, quickly and easily, which obviously exists. It's the size of the market versus the, the fixed costs, which is largely around regulation and compliance. 
And you know, a, a platform like Fanatics is able to bring together some of the providers that Karen's talking about in terms of, you know, whether it's KYB or alternative balance sheets or, or um, you know, um, ID verification and onboarding and all of those pieces. We can bring those pieces together, and I think the you know we have the advantage that we're not scared of becoming a utility. I know when I used to work for one of the big banks. The fear of these developments is always that it is going to, you know, turn banks into nothing but a utility. Now, you know, I think there's a lot of companies out there who are very proud to be called utilities, and they're highly profitable businesses. But it does require a different mindset to the one which the traditional Canadian banks have had in the past about how you go about making money and what's important. So I think. The opportunity to scale this stuff exists, but I think it's going to have to come from companies who are prepared to understand that there are certain activities that need to be performed at scale to overcome the fixed costs. But then those can be provided to a wide range of providers who can then, you know, do the, you know, the the specialized things or the unique things or the customer-focused things. Hey there, Jerry here with a word from our sponsor, Innovation360 Group. Are you in the market for innovation management software? According to Forrester Research, 53% of global services decision makers say that they are. What features are you looking for? Decision makers tell us that they look for solutions that provide a 360-degree view of their environment with access to internal and external sources. Feedback loops for participants and the ongoing iteration of ideas are critical, as are tools for the development of pilots and proof-of-concept efforts and support for the selection and commercialization of their innovative ideas. But that's not all. In addition to ideation tools, decision makers look for solutions that will help them strengthen the design and the governance of their innovation management programs, including structure, staffing, capability assessment, and metrics that are driven by industry standards, world-class benchmarking, and strategy support. Innovation360 Group's InnoSuite meets those needs, and then some. Contact me to find out more at jerry.persil at innovation360group.com or on my mobile at plus one four one six two zero zero two three three eight. So what I wanted to talk about in the context is, you know, is, is there an opportunity to turn financial services on its head? Like, does it exist, you know? And, and what is it going to be the thing that's going to, or the things uh, that are going to drive that change? So, for example, digitization is cited by a number of people as the answer to everything. Like, what, what are the implications of digitization in the context of, uh, of the future of financial services, for example? Digitization is, is a very all-encompassing word. It's kind of like saying doctor. There's dermatologists and surgeons, and you don't want to get those two confused. Once I was on a panel and I asked, it was, it was for financial institutions actually south of the border. So community banks, credit unions. And I said, it was towards the end of 2020. And I said, raise your hand. If any of you had <laughs> got a mandate from your executive team to digitize with no further details. And, and that was true for every single, I didn't know that this was going to be the, for every single person in the room, just digitize. So digitize is the answer. But the devil's in the details, to Mahima's point. Digitize what and how and what are the returns? And every time you make an investment, there's a regulatory challenge. And so one thing that we managed to show quite well is simply by putting an apply now button on a financial institution's website, you can improve things very fast. If you, if anyone were to Google on financial institutions, 
on the business side, you'll usually either see an explanation of services or pictures of bankers, but not an apply now button. So do you see how different that is than, that's digitizing, but it's digitizing one key specific aspect. And if we get really specific about what moves the, the dial for the end customer, I think we do have a successful point. So one might be thinking, why, why don't they just put an apply now button? The industry has trained financial institution providers to think of that as a six to seven figure cost and something that takes six months to two years. And it does not have to be. Fintechs have sorted that out. What will end up moving the industry forward is the competition. We, we've delayed competition here north of the border, but I don't think it will be delayed for very long. And when that happens, I believe financial institutions will move faster. The cost for changing something like an apply now button takes one hour, no coding, four figures. So there's really nothing stopping financial institutions from doing it, except for they have 101 things to digitize and they have to figure out what are their most important because they can probably get three done. Is it true that digitization is a short-term, it's a tactical move as opposed to a transformational or a strategic move? I mean, we are discussing about digitization in 2022. I guess that we should be beyond this discussion because that was a discussion to be had maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. But right now, if you are, I mean, it doesn't matter if you are saying that you're digitizing things or not. Nobody cares if you call it digitization, if the button is working or not. I mean, I mean, in a time when when we have discussions around DeFi or open platforms, marketplace ecosystems, APIs, open banking, big data analytics, etc., discussing about digitization, I think it misses the point. Maybe for some banks or let's say some markets, uh, maybe some players have been missing out on the opportunity and they need to catch up, uh, to play catch up and digitize some services. Okay, that might be the case. But I think that that's missing the the, the, the point, the whole point. And despite the fact that we have uh, specific local market specifics, as you are all addressing the Canadian market, I think uh, we all have to acknowledge that, uh, you know, it's uh, it's not anymore as it used to be that you have, let's say, the the closed market with very specific things and nobody needs the, the, the barriers to entry are quite high. It's not the case. Once there is an opportunity and once there are similarities with other markets, I think uh, there will be, uh, irrespective of the scale and of the size, I think there will be players coming in the market. So I don't think that uh, this is the case. But for me, the discussion around this uh, digitization is, is probably uh, a bit outdated. I think you have to focus on the... On the, on the so-called embedded experience, I think you have to make sure that uh, you can uh, understand using technology who are your customers. I mean, we were discussing before uh, about the SME market and uh, how much uh, uh, the customers are not getting the services they need. And of course, they are not getting the services they need because they don't understand. I mean, if you take, for example, most of the banks, then they don't even know who are their customers. They don't know. They don't have the, the proper data for this. Uh, or may, they might have data that are uh, they cannot read. So I, I think you have to uh, to kind of try to answer all these uh, questions and try to understand how you put this to the benefit of your business instead of discussing about digitization or not. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think that anybody cares if you call it digitization or not. You just have to be in a position to use the existing technology for the benefit of your business first and then of the customers, of course, 
through your business. Go ahead, Mahba. I think maybe just building on that, agree. Like, I think digitization is already kind of here in in different forms. For me, it's a bit what Karen said around how do you encourage the competition? And the biggest factor or that or the obstacle that stands in the way, I think, is access, especially, again, in Canada. So how do we provide fintechs and smaller competitors access to the systems they need? Like right now, I mean, we're moving to RTR, let's say by 2023, but it's it's only the banks that have access to RTR to start with. Once open banking comes, if we can have some sort of payment initiation with open banking, which I think, as far as I understand, is off the table right now, that starts to open up possibilities for fintechs to provide the services to their customers and and really increase innovation, even access to things like Interact, like Interacts are the leading peer-to-peer transfer service in Canada, but it's almost impossible to get access to Interact as as a fintech. And so I do think it's this access barrier that is preventing competition in Canada that if it was removed in any sort of way would really start to open things up and like so uh, maybe just for eq bank specifically we're we're combining two things like we don't really have the scale to be a sole provider plus we want to open up access so we're saying can we become the direct connector to these services and provide the services to fintechs that not only subsidizes our costs but allows us to actually be a direct connector for example so just a slip in the uh, commercial break, Fanaptic is a full Interact participant and therefore anybody who does want oh, access great. to the Interact rails using all of the different methodologies, Fanaptic is there to provide that to the uh, to the fintech community. But Mahima is absolutely right that the barriers to competition specific to Canada are quite significant. Um, the fact that real-time and open banking are still in the future. I mean, you know, Fanaptic, we obviously built a real-time platform, but, you know, we still then have to interface with other institutions which aren't. And I think that explains why, to Pangiotis's point, we're still talking about digitization here in Canada when it should have been done and dusted. And Karen's not wrong. It's still something which is in process here. Um, so I think the answer, Jerry, is digitization isn't going to be what turns financial services on its head. Um, I I think what I would suggest turning it on its head involves is the change from the thing that Karen flagged at the beginning, which is instead of it being a market in which the providers, the financial institutions, the banks decide what's on offer and decide when you're allowed to purchase it, it becomes a market in which the consumer, you know, whether that's an individual or a business, is able to understand what their need is and have that met. So I think you begin to see that in a lot of the fintechs there, which is it's not about do you need a credit card or a loan? Do you need a mutual fund or a savings account? It's about I want to save for this particular goal or I want to purchase this particular item. I want to know that you know I can retire on a particular date. So it's very much about a financial services market, which is driven by the needs of the consumer. Now, those needs then get translated into financial products in the background. And one of the interesting things we've discovered um, as we've taken Fanaptic to market is many of our conversations are with people who know exactly what they want to provide to their customers, 
but don't understand which banking products are required to achieve that. So we spend a lot of time educating our potential partners on which products do what and what the differences between them are. But the conversation is the correct one because they're saying, this is what my customers need. This is how I'm going to create value with them. What is the mechanism to achieve that? And so I think when the market has been turned on its head, it'll be one where the consumer drives because they say, this is my need and I want it met. And there are mechanisms and products which in the background achieve that for them. That wraps up this episode. Join us next week for our final episode of the three-part series, Turning Financial Services on Its Head. My guests and I will talk about the importance of unfettered access, the innovation implications of working together across silos, what is more critical, culture or technology, and some advice for the future. My guests today were Karen Moynihan, co-founder and CEO of Boss Insights, a fintech focused on the digital commercial banking space. Mahima Potter, group head of personal banking at Equitable Bank and EQ Bank, its direct-to-consumer digital bank. Pantiotis Carreras, head of business development for Unzer, a leading international payments platform. And Richard Goiter, head of value proposition for Finaptic Technologies, a B2B banking as a service provider and a part of the National Bank of Canada. As always, I like hearing your thoughts about today's or our other shows. Keep the conversation going. Go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, ask for the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guests. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. Today.